0: And if somebody could, does somebody want to? We're going to be looking at um, chapter six twenty six to the end of chapter seven. Chapter six twenty six, uh, chapter six, verse twenty six, all the way to chapter seven, verse twenty five. Who wants to read uh, six twenty six to seven seven? Okay, who wants to read seven eight to seven nineteen? Okay, and who wants to read seven uh, twenty uh, to seven twenty-five? All right. Thanks. All right, Jim. You're you can start.
1: Okay, Jim. right. Let's go. It was was this same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. And they were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, King of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with the Lord, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God, to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. The Lord, say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of the country but I will pardon Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment. I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt to bring the Israelites to it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord should have been. Moses was 80 years old and burned. Aaron was 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. 7 8. And Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, welcome a miraculous youngster, then he said to Aaron, Take the staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that he may become a skeleton. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, And thus they did just a to make And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and he became a servant. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and his sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with the secret. And each one threw down, down his staff, and they became the serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed up all this staff. Yet Pharaoh's heart is hardened; with mm-hmm. he does not listen to them. And Yahweh has spoken. Mm-hmm. Then Yahweh said to Moses, "Pharaoh's heart is hard with stubbornness; he refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he is going out onto the waters, and station yourself to leave him on the bank of the Nile." And you shall take him take into your hand the staff that was turned into And you shall say to him, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, send me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus he said Yahweh. Like this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, I'm about to strike the water that is in the Nile, with the sky that, that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become foul, and the Egyptians will be weary really of drinking water from the Nile. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Say to parents, take the staff and stretch out your hands over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, over the streams, over the pool and over the reservoir of water, that they may become blood. And this there will be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the invective of the wounds and in of the, in the, in the, in the So Moses and Aaron did thus, as Yahweh had commanded. He raised up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile. In the, 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 the side of the Pharaoh and the side of the servants, all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood the fish that were in the Nile died. The Nile became foul, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. Yet the Egyptians of Egypt did did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was parted by strength, and he did not listen to them, as they always spoke to Then Pharaoh turned and asked him to his spouse, and he did not set set his heart either on this. So all the Egyptians around the Nile with water to drink. For they not to the water of the and seven
0: four days passed, after Yahweh had struck the Great. So, so far in our Exodus, by way of review, we've been learning that, uh, that Exodus is the cornerstone of theology in the Bible. And what that means is that some of the major uh, theological themes that run through Scripture and are unpacked in the rest of the Scripture begin right here in this book. Um. The doctrine of uh, Jesus taking on humanity to save us, and the union with Christ, and knowing God's name, and the, the, the nature of Satan, and, the, and the, 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 the nature of salvation with respect to deliverance and victory of, of God over evil. Jesus as a prophet, um, the salvation pictured as the second exodus. These doctrines and, and more are given birth in the book of Exodus, uh, so much of even the rest of the Old Testament references and makes allusions to the Exodus. Uh, you know, even uh, 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 even in popular uh, popular entertainment, or like Lord of the Rings, and you, you see so many uh, theme, themes, biblical themes, but uh, themes from the Book of Exodus. If you remember the the eagle, remember the big, giant eagles that rescue some of the people. That phrase, that, that that imagery comes from Exodus when Jesus, when God, when Moses says, on, on the wings of eagles, uh, God will rescue us. And Isaiah repeats that. Um, uh, these allusions, these references... Uh, are strewn throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so knowing and, understanding, knowing and understanding Exodus helps us recognize these references and allusions more clearly. It helps us understand why these Old Testament prophets are, are quoting or referencing Exodus. Even last Sunday, my sermon in uh, Psalm 33, uh, I was so helped by my study in Exodus. I was able to kind of uh, point out to you some of the quotes from, from Exodus, the allusions, and why the psalmist... Uh, makes these references and allusions. Um, if you notice, if you remember in Psalm 33, he, there, there's the theme of, of creation, Genesis, and there's the theme also of Exodus as well, God delivering Israel from, uh, from Egypt. Today, you'll, you're going to find out why. You'll see why today, why the psalmist makes those connections. Um, in other words, if you want to understand the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have to master the book of Exodus. In Exodus, God reveals the nature of salvation and the kind of relationship he has with his people. In Exodus, God reveals his personal name, Yahweh. Um, remember, it started in chapter 1, and the context was given. Uh, Pharaoh is, is oppressing his people as, 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 as the Israelites multiply, as they have more children, as the population grows. This is what? The fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. And that frightens Pharaoh to the degree he begins to oppress them. Uh, and and, and unsuccessfully so. In chapter 2, we were introduced to the deliverer of Israel, Moses. Uh, What happens to him will happen to the people that he rescues. He was delivered, right, from the the Nile, from death, and God will use him to deliver his people from death. Um, But we also saw in chapter 2 that Moses uh, he needs some more sanctification. He, Moses sees himself as an Egyptian, and, and he needs to shed his Egyptian identity for a Hebrew identity. He needs to be one with his people. God's leaders need to be one with the people they save. And, we're, and we, we were introduced to the, 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 the theology of corporate solidarity. Chapter 3, God reveals his name Yahweh and his, and, and his agenda for Israel through a burning bush. God said his name was Yahweh, and that meant what? I am who I am, or I I, I will be who I will be. In other words, the, the name Yahweh is this idea that he is self-defined, he is above us. We can't bring him down and conform him to uh, our preconceived notions and expectations, right? Sometimes when we get uh, frustrated or discouraged, especially with God, uh, 99% of the time is it's because um, God is not... The way we expect God to be, we want Him to be this way, but He's not that way. He's Yahweh. He's I am. I, I am. I. I will be who I will be. You can't. You can't bring me down. You can't put you put me in your box. Um, chapter three. Yahweh uh, tells Moses, "You need to go to uh, uh, Israel. To, uh, tell them who I am. Tell them my plan." He tells. Uh, Moses to go to Pharaoh say the same thing. And in chapters four through six is the response to chapters one to three. In chapter four, uh, Moses tells God, you know I don't think Israel's going to believe what I when I tell them you sent me." And God agrees with Moses. Uh, at the end of chapter four, however, the text says that Israel believed in Yahweh, that Israel believed in Moses' message. And chapter five though, uh, really tells us does did, did they really believe? Is that really true? And in chapter five, we read, looked at the uh, Pharaoh's uh, response uh, to uh, Moses and Aaron and their confrontation. And what did he say emphatically? What did he say? Who is Yahweh? I don't know who that guy is. And Pharaoh then uh, says, "You know, you guys are lazy. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna press you. I'm gonna make you look for straw to make your, make your, your work quota even harder than it, than it is." And so, how does Israel? Uh, how, how do they, in turn, respond to this increased oppression? Do they really believe in Yahweh? The end of chapter 4, they said they believed in Yahweh. Chapter 5, we realize they don't really believe in Yahweh because they're saying things like, what? Pharaoh, we're your slaves. Pharaoh, we're your servants. You're like, what What happened to their faith? Even Moses, even Moses at the end of chapter 5 says, God, what happened? What, what are you doing? Even Moses has a hard time believing in In chapter 6 that we covered last Friday, we figured out why Israel and Moses have such a hard time believing in Yahweh, right? And it's because they can't accept Yahweh for being Yahweh. They have these expectations about God. They're trying to bring him down. They're trying to conform him to their preconceived notions. They think that Moses and Aaron should go to Pharaoh, and because God said it, Pharaoh should immediately respond. That's their conception of God. That's their view of God. And God says in chapter six, "I'm not your. I'm not that kind of God. I'm not a God that you can just make up. I'm Yahweh. I am who I am. You can't bring me down." And so um, he he, he uh, once again reminds them, "I'm going to do what I promised. But you know what? You need to submit to my will. You. I don't submit to your will." I don't submit to all your preconceived notions of who God is. You need to submit to my will. I am who I am. I am who I am. Now, at the in the middle of the chapter of chapter six, what does Moses say again? God, I man, I can't do this. I, I'm, a, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. I can't do this. And at this point, you're thinking, right? Moses is proved pretty pathetic. He's kind of a loser, and there's this gene- genealogy inserted—a genealogy of Moses and Aaron, the priestly line—and it's there to show that even though you think Moses is a mistake, he's not a mistake. The genealogy proves it. He's part of the priestly line. The priestly line uh, is, and, and the priestly line has a role to 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 play in establishing the kingly line of the Messiah. So, all that for by way of review, and we pick it up in chapter. 6.26, and this is kind of really interesting the way it begins. Uh, it says, it was this okay, so, you know, verse 26 is referring to the gene- genealogy that was just uh, uh, written down, that we just read, and and, and Moses is saying he's saying, this, this genealogy, it's the same Aaron and Moses to whom Yahweh said, bring out the ones of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their hosts. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the sons of Israel from Egypt. It was the same Moses and Aaron, right? This is kind of humorous. This is kind of funny, right? They're, they're saying, uh, you, you know, this genealogy is a Moses and Aaron. It shows that these are the guys that called, and and it's so obvious that it, it is, but the, the, you know, the author, or Moses says, really, you really you got to really believe this. This genealogy is the same guys that we're talking about. It's not a different Moses and Aaron. You might think, the, the, you know, Moses, this is a some kind of mistake, but it's the same Moses and Aaron that we've been looking at in chapters 1 through 6. So up until now, uh, the question of Exodus has been whether Israel is going to believe or not. But from chapter 7 to 14, the emphasis is going to be on Pharaoh's response to Yahweh. Not, not whether or not Pharaoh will believe. God has already told us that Pharaoh is not going to believe. No. For Pharaoh, we will see how evil Pharaoh is and how God will destroy him by the time this whole thing is over. So what is Moses called to do in verse 29? He says to Yahweh says to Moses, I am Yahweh. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I am speaking to you. The task is really simple. Just tell Pharaoh what I said. You don't have to be inventive. You don't have to be a gifted persuader. You don't have to be a clever, clever organizer. Just be my spokesman. Just be faithful to God's word, Moses, right? That's all that we're required to do, right? As believers, we obey God's word, and then we just tell others what God has said. We don't add. We don't take away. We don't have to be clever. We don't have to be powerful. We don't have to be talented. We just have to be faithful. That's what verse 29 says. And, and what is, how does Moses respond in verse 30? It's often how we act in the real world, right? Instead of just telling others what God has told us, we, do, we, we, we have the same kind of attitude, right? Moses said before Yahweh, Behold, I am uh, I am of uncircumcised lips. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? So we, we, we discussed earlier that uh, this has nothing to do with a speech impediment. Uh, Moses doesn't have a speech impediment. Uh, Moses has a faith problem. He doesn't believe in Yahweh very much. God needs to grow his faith. Now, verses 1 through 7, If uh, it seems repetitive. It seems like... Uh, We've seen this before. It seems redundant. But the tone in the Hebrew in these first seven verses is a tone of rebuke, right? Have you ever told your children to do something the 15th, 15th time, right? The tone is a little bit different. The first time, it's like, hey, could you please do this for me, you know? And the second time, it's like, hey, remember, remember I told you to do this? The 15th time, it's like, hey, what's going on? Didn't we tell you to do this? And this is the tone in verses 1 through 7. There's a tone of rebuke. This is part of the refining process of Moses. Remember, the theme of Exodus for Israel is whether or not Israel will believe. The theme of Exodus for Pharaoh is his destruction. And so verses 1 through 7, it doubles as kind of a a rebuke to Moses, but it also gives us the, uh, the basic plan of what God will do against Egypt. This is how the plan will go down with Egypt. So look at verse 1. See, uh, then Yahweh said to Moses, See, I set you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Right? That's the posture Moses is to take when he interacts with Pharaoh. And how is this kind of ironic, considering uh, the person Moses will be going to? And then verse 1. Moses, this is this, this, Yahweh said. This is the posture you're to take with Pharaoh. Yeah, and so how is this ironic in light of of who he's talking to, Pharaoh? Who does Pharaoh think he is? He thinks he's God, and so you have this 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 eighty uh, year old man. He's an old man, and we see he's not the he's not the uh, most talented guy in the world, he's not the strongest guy in the world, but to Pharaoh, he's to act as if he's God. See, by calling Moses God, Yahweh is beating Pharaoh at his own game, his own game. Pharaoh, you think you're God, you think you're God, but even my my weak servant Moses is higher in stature and authority than you are. And what is God's end goal out of all, out of all of this? Verse two, it's so that not that they would just leave out of the go out of the land per, uh, um, to, to worship, but to leave the land permanently uh, once and for all. Once Pharaoh says a uh, yes, you can go. Pharaoh is admitting defeat. He's admitting that he's not their God. That Yahweh is God over Israel and over over all. And notice what he says in in the end of verse two. He uh, he's very uh, uh, specific, very precise, and he calls the land his land, Pharaoh's land. Even though Israel has been there for 400 years, uh, this is not Israel's land. This is Pharaoh's land. Uh, verse three, God says to, to Moses, uh, I will harden uh, Pharaoh's, uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse three, yes. I will harden Pharaoh's heart with stiffness, with stiffness. Um, anybody have a, a, a legacy standard version? Yeah. Okay, so he, he said this before to Moses. He said, Moses, uh, you know, go to Pharaoh and I will harden his heart. He said that back in chapter 421. Uh, what is the, uh, what is the, uh, what is the sh- chapter 421 LSB say, Una, at the end? See, good, good, yeah. I will harden with, I will harden his heart with strength. And here in chapter seven, verse three, uh, the LSB says, "I will harden Pharaoh's heart with stiffness." Okay. Um, most translations just use the word "harden" in both chapter four and chapter seven, even though they're two distinct Hebrew words, totally unrelated. The first word. Uh, that we saw in chapter 4, has the idea of strengthening, strengthening, uh, hazak. Uh, so in chapter 4, God says, Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, I will strengthen Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Pharaoh wants to do this anyways, but I will give him uh, the strength to finish the mission, to, fin- to, to, to go until the end, to, to go until completion, right there there are times when i have i really want to do something badly but when obstacles obstacles come in my way what happens i weaken inside i weaken inside and even though i want to finish the task i can't do it because i don't have enough strength so pharaoh he wants to he wants to rebel until the end but unless god strengthens in his heart to finish the end he won't do the end so so there's this kind of uh, this comb- uh, kind of Compatibility, there's, there's kind of God is working together. He's using the evil of Pharaoh's heart to do what he wants to do to accomplish God's will. So in chapter 4, the word is to strengthen. And so the LSB, in, in order to distinguish between the two hardens, uses the phrase, I will harden his heart with strength. Here in chapter 7, uh, uh, the LSB translators go, I will ha- harden Pharaoh's heart with stiffness. This is uh, kasha, kasha, and this word is a different word for a different uh, a nuance of hardened, and it means resistance, it means stubbornness. So uh, God is making Pharaoh's heart unbreakable to, so that by the time, so that God can reveal all of his, all the full measure of his power in the ten plagues, so that God can be glorified, Right? So God is working with Pharaoh. He's strengthening Pharaoh's heart to do what he's want, wanting to do, and God is sovereign over, over Pharaoh's heart in that he's he's uh, giving this him a, a stubborn heart, an unbreakable heart. And so we see kind of compatibility and sovereignty. And he says, "I'm going to multiply my signs and wonders." This is this this combination is used. In the Old Testament, almost always associated with the Exodus. And it shows the uniqueness of the signs and wonders that occurred in Egypt. These de- these these kind of demonstrations of power that we see in Exodus, you don't see it throughout the entire history of the Old Testament. You see it in very specific places. Uh, I mean, really no other place besides Exodus. You see like little variations of miracles, but the kind of power displayed in, in Exodus, you really don't see in, in in the entire Old Testament, now verse four: these signs and wonders—they're not there to engender faith like they were for Israel. They're there to what? To what is what does Pharaoh? What what, did, what does God say Pharaoh will do? Uh, what does God? What does God say that He will do to Pharaoh? I'm sorry, I will set my hand upon Egypt. I will by these miracles that they will be great judgments. Verse four and. He calls, what does he call the sons of Israel? He calls them my hosts. Does does verse 4 say that? Do you see that, my hosts? Mm -hmm. Anybody have a different, with different words? My armies. My armies, because yeah, host means my armies. And how is that kind of interesting? Why is this ironic? (laughs) Because
1: currently the Israelites,
0: Oh, okay, sure, 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 sure. But, I mean, can you imagine the condition of the Israelites under this oppressive slavery? They're like skin and bones, you know, ragtag, and uh, uh, God calls them my hosts, my armies. What is God God trying to convey to Egypt? I'm going to beat you so bad. I am going to decimate you so bad that compared to your armies... My, these, these nobodies here, they're going to look like a great army compared to what I'm going to do to you, right? Mm-hmm. This is how badly I'm going to beat you. Verse 5. Uh, then the Ipsi- Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. Um, it's one thing for a people to acknowledge the greatness of their own God. It's another thing for a pagan people to do that. And yet the greatness that Yahweh will display to Egypt will be not a greatness of mercy or grace, it's going to be a greatness of of judgment. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. What do we learn about salvation in general from verse 5? What do we learn about salvation in general from verse 5? Verse 5. so salvation is compared you could compare you could use the imagery of uh we were once enslaved not not to pharaoh but to our sin and he freed us from our sin and uh we're going to heaven right a promised land right so uh You see that aspect here, right, of salvation. He's going to free them. He's going to set them free from slavery. He's going to bring them into the promised land, into a better place. No longer will their master be Pharaoh, a satanic god. It'll be Yahweh. That'll be their god, right? So we see something of the dynamic of salvation in that. What else do we see in in the nature of salvation in verse 5? God is the one doing everything. Yes, God is doing everything, right? Good, good. But let's go to the book of Revelation. In, in Revelation, God does two things, two big things. He saves his people. What else does he do? He destroys his enemies. He destroys his enemies. And that paradigm is established in Exodus, right? God saves his people from Egypt. They cross the Red Sea, I talked about this last Sunday, and he doesn't have to kill the Egyptian army, he doesn't have to decimate them, but he does, all of them. Why? To show that salvation is not only our salvation, but total victory over evil, total judgment, right? That paradigm of salvation, salvation and judgment is established in Exodus, it's established in verse 5. That's what God says he's going to do. And so in verse 6, uh, uh, Mo, the, Moses and Aaron, they just do what God commands them to do. Uh, God's word is their word. He, we imitate God simply by being faithful to what he tells us to do. There's no It's not rocking science. This is not, uh, you know, brain science. Verse 7, this is kind of interesting. Now Moses were 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Why do you think uh, Moses includes verse 7? What's the point of verse 7? Yeah, they're old. Yeah, they're old. They're old. Um, Most people are, you know, around this time uh, in, in... in redemptive history they're you know people are dying 80 90 100 a little bit longer um, moses dies at 120 that's the top so they're they're not they're not spring chickens right they're uh, they're called aaron and moses they're called to lead this great movement in an age when most people have died and so their contribution to the exodus it's not in their genius it's not in their experience they've never led an exodus before right It's not in their credentials. I mean, Moses, he was a shepherd and he was a murderer. It's not in their vitality. What makes them successful leaders is what? Verse 6, they do what God commanded them, right? That's what makes us successful leaders. We just do what God commands us. Nothing more. Nothing more. When we try to do more than what God commands us, we get in his way. We get in his way. And uh, that's what that's a that's a helpful lesson for ministry. Just do what God commands you to do, and He'll bless your ministry. He'll bless your service. When you try to do more, we get in His way, and it's hard to see. It's harder to see blessing that way. Well, in verse eight through twenty-two, we begin a new section on the ten plagues, and. And, and these ten plagues, the, the, that number, that number matches the times that God speaks in Genesis one. In Genesis one, there are ten God said statements, ten formal declarations that God says in Genesis one. And all these ten plagues they connect to Genesis one, one and two. In other words, God through these ten signs and wonders is declaring that he is the creator and not Pharaoh. Um, The 10 plagues also have a connection to the Egyptian pantheon. And so he's going to break, God is going to break Pharaoh and these false gods with these 10 plagues. And another thing before we kind of dive in here, there is a clear structure to the 10 plagues. There's a clear structure, a definable structure that groups uh, these 10 plagues into three groups. And and, and and we can te- we can see this structure uh, uh, very clearly with the variation of the words that you find in verse 15. Look at what it says in verse 15. Uh, go to Pharaoh in the morning. Uh, that's the first group. That's the first group. And then go to plague number four, chapter eight, verse 20. Yahweh said to Moses, rise early in the morning, right? So you saw that in the first, you're going to see that in the first plague, not in the second, not in the third, you will see it in the fourth, and then you're going to see it in the seventh plague, Uh, chapter 9, verse 13, Yahweh said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. So there's three groups. The first cycle of signs has to do with water. Look at verse 19, chapter 7, verse 19. Take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, the rivers, the streams, the pool, reservoirs of water, right? Water, 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 water. It's pretty obvious. Uh, go to uh, the fourth plague. The fourth plague. That is, that has to do with the land. That has to do with the land. And look at the end of verse 21. The houses of Egypt will be full of swarms of flies and also on the ground on which they stand, right? Verse twenty-two. On that, uh, on that day, I will make a distinction for the land of Goshen. Uh, verse twenty-two. You may know that I am Yahweh in the midst of the land. Right. Verse twenty-four. The end of verse. Because of the swarms of flies in all the land of Egypt. So that second group has to do with the land, and the third group uh, it has to do with the air. Go to uh, the beginning of the seventh uh, plague. And uh, he says, uh, uh, rise up early in the morning and look at, uh, look at verse 22. Stretch out your hand toward the sky, right? Verse 23, uh, Moses stretched out his hat, a staff toward the sky, right? Right? Uh, So you have all these uh, other references to the sky here as well. So it's really clear that what is uh, these 10 plagues trying to communicate about God. God is the creator over the water, over the land, and over the air. And this is the same order as what? As creation, right? Water, land, and air. You find the same order here. So that's why. So going back to Psalm 33, right? Last Sunday. Why does he connect... Genesis 1 and Exodus, because he's the creator. And Exodus is about the power of, of, of God's creatorhood, right? And he, and he quotes, right? When he quotes that, that verse from Exodus in Psalm 33, he quotes from Exodus 15, the song of victory. After God shows all these, his 10 plagues, he, now, now they rejoice. Now they're worshiping God, right? Like a what? Like a song. Like a song. So the psalmist is going, okay. Let me, let me talk. Let me pull something about the power of God as creator in a similar kind of format. Is the format I'm writing now in this psalm, the Song of Moses, Exodus 15? See how the psalmist is thinking. Um, go back to chapter seven, verses eight and nine. He says uh, to Moses and Aaron, um, when, Pharaoh, when, when Pharaoh speaks to you, when he says to work a miraculous wonder, uh, you shall say to Aaron. Uh, take your staff and throw it down uh, before Mer- Pharaoh, that it may become a ser- serpent. So Pharaoh wants to see something supernatural. He wants to see that Yahweh is, is truly sovereign, is truly supreme. The staff here is a symbol of God's power and strength. Uh, where will this staff be placed later? Remember? In the
1: Ark of the Covenant.
0: In the Ark of the Covenant, Right. So to, to remind Israel of God's creator, when did the staff, power as creator. I'm sorry?
1: When did the
0: staff burn? Oh, I don't know. Oh, you'll have to, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll have to get back to you. Uh, verse 10, Aaron throws down the staff and it becomes a serpent. And remember, this, there was a similar, similar incident when... Uh, God told Moses to do that as a miracle for Israel in chapter 4. It's a different word, though, for the serpent here. The serpent in chapter 4 was the typical name for snake. Here, this, the, the Hebrew word uh, for serpent is, the, has, is often used in association with a, a, a supernatural a, a, a monster. It was used in Job to refer to the Le- Leviathan. It's translated dragon in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Um, in, in Satan, what what's what represents Satan in Revelation? A dragon. a dragon, right? And now some people say it's a different. It's it's different. And so because this has to do with some uh, a, a, a a large amphibian, some that say, some people say alligator. It's not. And and the other one is snake, so they conclude it's two uh, different animals. I don't think that's right. I think it's the same animal, whatever it is, some type of serpent. And the reason I say that is because in verse 15, the the, the chapter 4 Hebrew word is used. So here in this episode in 7, they're used interchangeably. The term for dragon and serpent so the question is, then why does Moses use this different word here in verse 9? And I, and I think it's because he's emphasizing uh, uh, the, the demonic symbolism behind it, the satanic symbolism behind it. And so, uh, what do I mean by this? So they throw down the staff, it becomes a serpent, and then the pharaoh calls for the wise men, the sorcerers, the magicians of the Egypt, they do the same with their secret arts. Uh, they throw down. They, each one throws down his st- staff. They become serpents. But verse twelve, Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Um, so uh, we see in this this kind of battle of serpents, God's serpents win to show what that God is Lord over supernatural po- powers, especially Satan. God is. In char- over Satan, now what's going on? Uh, is this a real snake? Uh, what, what's going on with the the snakes of the magicians or the wise men? We we don't know for sure, but here are some options that we have for us. We can't be dogmatic about each one, but here are some options that we have for us about these these kind of these kind of uh, rival snakes that the magicians imitate uh, in light of God's miracle. Now the word magicians that that has this idea. Or I'm sorry, the word sorcerers has the idea of drugs or magical potions like hallucinogenic potions or a smoke or incense that make you see things that aren't there. And so that could be like they throw this powder in the air and they kind of see something that isn't there. It could have been the result of demonic powers. It also could have been sleight of hand, like a magic trick. I mean, it's not hard to, you know... to recreate this miracle, right? You have a, you have a like a towel, a staff. Hey, you know, and then you and then you replace it with a snake. Look, you know, it, it's a really easy <laughs> trick. Uh, I read a one commentary that talked about a particular kind of snake that that where you touch it, it has the the ability to just stand, just a stay erect. So you, you can hold it like a staff, and when you throw it down, it'll turn it into a snake. It could have been that. So we don't know. But what we do know is it's not the real thing. Because Aaron's staff eats up this snake. Um, it's not a real miracle. It doesn't have the kind of divine power that God's miracle has. Verse thirteen. Um here yet verse thirteen yet 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 Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength. So how do you know which hardened this is? Well in the LSB it'll tell you it's It's uh, Pharaoh, God is doing what Pharaoh already wants to do. There's this confluency happening. Uh, Pharaoh is doing what he wants to do, and Yahweh is doing what he's going to do. So this battle between Yahweh and Pharaoh, it's not political, it's theological. The question is, who is the true God? Who is sovereign? Is it Yahweh, or is it Pharaoh? And so... Here, here, here it begins. Here the battle begins in verse 14. Verse 14. This is how it begins. Yahweh said to Moses... Somebody read it. Somebody read their uh, translation. Verse 14. Anybody. Then the
1: Lord said to
0: Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stu- stubborn. He refuses to let the people go. Okay, so uh, uh, this is a different word for hard. Uh, this is uh, the, the first, the, the, the word for strengthen was the Hebrew word, uh, it was uh, hazak. The, the, the word in chapter 7, verse 3 was kasha, which is stubborn. Here in verse 14, the word is um, uh, kavod or kaved. And that means a weighty. Uh, the word is used to uh, to translate into glory, okay, glory. So there's a different connotation here. I like how the LSB distinguishes it for us because here the LSB says Pharaoh's heart is hard with firmness. First it was st- uh, hard with strength, hard with stiffness, verse 14, hard with firmness. And the idea here is that Pharaoh wants all the glory. Pharaoh wants all the glory for himself, But God, through these plagues, is going to show them he has no glory of of any sort. This is the goal of the ten plagues. Uh, God is establishing goals and and agenda items he wants to do in these verses. What does he want to do? He wants to rob Pharaoh of any glory that he's trying to steal from God. What uh, 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 What does God want to do? He wants to let his people go. Pharaoh doesn't want to let the people go. And in verse 15... We we, we saw this phrase, right, this unique phrase that begins every three plagues, as I said earlier, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Uh, Back then, most Egyptians didn't uh, bathe in the water, they didn't bathe in the Nile, because most uh, Egyptians, common uh, Egyptians, didn't know how to swim. But if you were royalty, you, you knew how to swim, and so very select people, the elite, would go out to the Nile to take a bath. And then Moses says to verse. uh, Moses, uh, God says uh, to tell Moses. uh, Tells Moses to do what in verse fifteen? Station yourself to meet him on the bank of the Nile. That phrase on the bank of the the, the Nile. Where did you see that before? Do you remember? It's a distinct phrase repeated, and we saw it earlier. They put Moses in the Nile. Right. Chapter 2, verse 3. Then she put the child into the, into the basket and put it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Same phrase. To indicate what? To show what? Uh, something more specific. So why was Moses in the bank of the Nile? Because all the babies were being thrown in the Nile. They were all dying. They were all dying. And so God is telling Moses, you go to Pharaoh when he's on the bank of the Nile to show what? I'm going to get you back. I'm going to retaliate. What you did to my children when you threw them in the Nile, I'm going to do to you. I'm going to destroy you. Um, you killed my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to kill your kids. Um, verse 16. And you shall say to him, Yahweh... The God of the Hebrews sent me to you. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. I'm a better master. I'm a better king than than Pharaoh, God is saying. Verse 17, uh, he declares explicitly to Pharaoh, By this you shall know that I am Yahweh Pharaoh. Remember what Pharaoh said the first time when Moses confronted him? Who is Yahweh? I don't know who this Yahweh is. Now, Yahweh says, you're going to know who I am. You're going to know who I am by the time I'm done. And what does he do? He he strikes the water that is in the Nile with the, with the blood, uh, uh, with the staff that is in my hand, it will be turned into blood. So, remember, water, day two of creation, God separates the waters. And the the God of the Nile, there was a God of the Nile, his name was Happy. H A P I, Happy. Now in verse 17, the water of the Nile turns to blood to show what? The death of the God. Happy is dead, right? Happy's dead. Uh, verse 18, the fish in the Nile will die. Uh, That's day five, remember? Uh, Day two and day five. You know, the the, the, the days of creation all correspond. One, four, two, five, three, six. So two, the waters. Day five, he fills the waters. And so you see the striking of the waters in this first plague. And then you see the fish that he filled the waters in day five. They all die. To show God is exercising Creation power, creation power. Look at verse eighteen again, or or look at verse verse eighteen. The Nile will become foul. Where did we where did we uh, see that word before? Foul. Remember.
1: was when the Israelites were complaining Aaron, saying like how they became odious?
0: Very good. Chapter five, verse twenty one. They go to the people. Go to Moses. Are complaining to him. They're saying, "May God look upon you and judge, for you have made us a foul smell in Pharaoh's sight." And what what is God doing back to Pharaoh? You know what you made you made my people foul, but now you're going to stink. Now the Egyptians are going to stink. And what happens? Um, the Egyptians uh, are growing weary. They're humiliated. Verse nineteen. Uh, this emphasis on all the waters, the rivers, the streams, right? God is the creator of the seas and the water. Everything is is, is showing the power of, of Genesis one and Genesis two. Well, um, verse twenty, uh, Mar- Moses and Aaron did this. Yahweh commanded. He raised up the staff, struck the water. He did all that God was that 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 all that God's told him to do. Pharaoh, of course, resisted. The water in the Nile turns to blood. All the fish die in verse 21. Blood is throughout all the land of Egypt. The first God is dead. The first false God of Egypt has died. He's dead. He's bleeding. Remember, that's a big deal. The Nile is what? The centerpiece of Egypt's economy. Everybody depends on the Nile to to live and survive. This is huge. See, the first conversation, it was between... Moses and Pharaoh It was a stick, it was a snake, it was between Pharaoh and Moses, Pharaoh and God, and no loss here, but in this first plague, Pharaoh can't hide, right? Pharaoh can't keep this a secret. Now everybody knows that Pharaoh is rebelling against God. Um, Now look at verse 22. The magicians of Egypt, they did the same with their secret hearts, secret arts, uh, uh, what was this another hallucination? Uh, again, if you were going to do like a cheap magic trick, this is kind of pretty easy, right? Hey, there's it's water, hey, it's red now, you know. It's like the old switcheroo, it could have been demonic, we don't know. Um, notice what they don't do the magicians of Pharaoh don't reverse the curse of the Nile, they can't reverse the blood, the bloody Nile flowing, they can't change that they can get a glass of water and say, Pharaoh, look, you know, look, it's blood. You know, this cheap trick that, that in Pharaoh's eyes gives them an excuse, a pathetic excuse, to think, oh, it's nothing. My magicians can do it too, right? Um, and so it, it, this, this, this uh, cheap imitation of a, of a miracle in verse 22 gives Pharaoh uh, this false assurance that that Moses and Aaron don't need to be taken seriously. That the only thing Pharaoh has lost personally was he can no longer have his little personal bath anymore. Um, verse 22, uh, the, uh, Pharaoh's heart was hardened with strength, right? This, this type of hardening is the one where Pharaoh is actively exercising strength. He doesn't want to submit to, to God's authority and God is giving him more strength to resist. So there's uh, compatibility, uh, they're working together, God is doing his, his thing and, and Pharaoh is doing what he, just want, he, he wants to do. Um, look at verse 24. Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink. They're digging wells close to the Nile because they can't drink of the water of the Nile. Does Pharaoh care? Look at verse 23. No. He went into his house. (laughs) He did not set his heart even on this. He doesn't care about his people. Um, This is the kind of Pharaoh, this is the kind of of authority, this this is the kind of sovereign that, uh, 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 that Pharaoh is trying to be in defiance of God. Verse 25. And seven full days passed after Yahweh had struck the Nile. What's the significance of, of the seven, seven days? Yeah, so creation week, seven days. So it finishes with Pharaoh, you're going against the God of Genesis 1. God of Genesis 1 and 2, that's who you're fighting against. And so that's how chapter 7 ends.